You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Study Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited to spend some time with Gene Cornfield to discuss transforming for growth in the 21st century, becoming a business of experience. Gene, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Ash. Great to be with you. Fantastic. I'm totally looking forward to this session because this is going to be extremely educational for me and all of our 7,000 listeners. But before we get into the content, uh, can you give us a little bit of an intro of how you got to where you are, Gene? Yeah, sure. So um, today, for context, I've been at Accenture Interactive for six going on seven years. Uh, I lead our customer experience transformation work globally with the high-tech industry. I also lead our uh, experience transformation work across all industries in the Northeast U.S. and uh, lead our global chief marketing officer peer community. Um, prior to coming to uh, Accenture almost seven years ago, uh, I spent my career in operating roles in marketing and business development and product. Um, that started out sort of when the in the in the '90s when the internet was just coming up. Uh, and then went over to Microsoft, where I spent about six years uh, and had a lot of fun there because my role was not figuring out how to sell the next copy of Windows or Office. But um, I had the opportunity to help guide Microsoft's very earliest uh, software as a service strategy and very earliest cloud strategy and platforms, which is uh, an interesting story. Maybe we'll go into if we have time uh, and then spent 10 years as a chief marketing officer in mostly high tech. Uh, for early stage and growth companies and really driving what we call digital and customer experience transformation uh, before we ever called it that. Fantastic. So let's dive in. We've heard a lot about digital transformation over the last 18 months or so, and some see it working, some don't see it working. I would love to get your viewpoints on where we are in this digital transformation journey. Yeah, well, it's, it's ironic. When you look at the numbers, they're, they're pretty staggering. Uh, I think what I saw is that prior to the pandemic, companies had invested a total of $1.7 trillion in digital transformation. I mean, that's $1.7 million, million. Right. 84% of CEOs have reported seeing little to no value from those investments. So for anyone that is contemplating or pursuing digital transformation, that's got to stop you in your tracks because you've got to say, wait, 1.7 trillion invested, 84% of CEOs saying they've seen little or no value. Your question has to be, how did so many spend so much going so wrong? And it, it, you know, when we, when we sort of peel that back and what I consistently see is that many that are pursuing a digital transformation take a digital first strategy. And any time I even hear a client say, uh, yep, our strategy is digital first, you know, there are flags, yellow flags, flashing, warnings flashing. And the reason is when we focus on the digital part, typically the focus is on, okay, 
what new technologies do we need to think about deploying? You know, what the new tool sets and what new talent do we need? We need to hire skill, digitally native skills, uh, digitally native people thinking about sort of new skill sets. Well, the issue is, is that when you only focus on new tool sets and new skill sets, you don't actually transform anything. In fact, when I see that, when I hear people take a, a digital first approach, what I typically see happening is companies will apply 21st century tools to their 20th century business functions. And what's ironic is that if we look throughout history, we, there, there's that adage, uh, historians make the best generals. And of course, that's about geopolitics. But the same is true in business and technology. If we take a, a step back and we look at this seminal example of the horseless carriage and the evolution from the horse-drawn carriage to the automobile, where we would say, well, the horse-drawn carriage was traditional. It was the automobile. Ultimately, it was transformational. But how did we get there? We had this horseless carriage thing in the middle. Well, we had this traditional thing, the horse-drawn carriage, the introduction of this new disruptive technology called the steam engine. When that steam engine, that new technology was applied directly to the horse-drawn carriage, what did we get? We got a horseless carriage. And that was a mode of transportation for almost 100 years. And most of us have heard that famous Henry Ford quote, uh, if, if I'd given people what they wanted, it would have been a faster horse. Well, that's, we, we chuckle at that, but think about it. Why, when the horseless carriage was around for 100 years already, were people asking for faster horses? Well, because very few people could afford a horseless carriage. So the main mode of transportation for, for the masses was still horses or, 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 or horse-drawn carriages. What Henry Ford recognized was that his customer's purpose was for faster transportation that was affordable. It was a shift in mindset that led from the transitional horseless carriage to the transformational automobile, a shift in mindset focused on the customer's purpose. Now, fast forward uh, to, uh, you remember, it wasn't that long ago when we wanted to find a local business, we would pull out a big fat book with yellow pieces of paper, right? The yellow pages. And, and we'd look up, okay, I need to find this local business. New, new disruptive technology of the internet applied to that traditional phone book gave us essentially the horseless carriage of an online phone book. So now not we didn't have to look up local businesses on yellow pieces of paper. We could look up local businesses on panes of glass. Okay. But again, let's think about mindset. Nobody looks up a local business out of sheer curiosity of they want to find a local business. People want to find specific products or solutions or experts or answers. And with a mindset focused on the customer's purpose of connecting them with products, experts, answers, solutions, that shift in mindset, not tool set or skill set, is what led to the transformational search engine. And I'll share one more example, um, which is, I think, one uh, that we've all lived through in just in the last couple of years. You know, we remember what it was like to have to go and hail a taxi in any city around the world. Uh, never a fun experience. Now we've got this new technology of the mobile app. Well, what happens when you apply the mobile app to finding a taxi? It gave us predictive taxi finding apps. Open the app, it would say, where are you? Okay, based on your current location and the current time of day and analysis of prior pickups, 
near that location at this time of day, here's where you are most likely to find a taxi. Okay, that was interesting, but it was only transitional because it was the mindset focused on our purpose as customers that we weren't just looking for a t- taxi to find a taxi out of curiosity, where, where are taxis? It was about how do I know where I'm going to get picked up, when I'm going to get picked up, how I'm going to get to my target destination, when I'm going to get there, and how much is it going to cost me? That shift in mindset with no new technology is what led to ride sharing. So if we follow this construct of, of sort of the horseless carriage from the tra- traditional to the transitional to the transformational, we have, think about business functions, whether it's marketing, sales, service, et cetera. Okay, we've got the traditional business function of marketing. Now we have these new digital technologies. When you apply these new digital technologies to marketing, what do we get? Digital marketing. Essentially, a transitional horseless carriage. What is transformational is when we take a step back and think, wait a minute, let's pause on just applying 21st century tools to our 20th century marketing or sales or service or whatever it is. What is our customer's purpose? Because if we understand what is the outcome our customers are trying to achieve, and then we apply new technologies and skills to helping our customers achieve those purposes, that's what leads to the transformational focus, which is on the customer's experience. And and while I think that there's a lot of energy today around customer experience, we look at it a little bit differently. Solid. And so I guess as you were saying this, do from your experience, do people actually have to experience the transitional stage before they're ready for the transformational stage? It seems like, like I mean, history is full of these examples, as you already gave us, right? But I'm, I'm just thinking like going from the traditional to the transformational may be too big of a jump. It's a, it's a great question. I think for the first company going through it, it's too big a jump. But for if you've seen others go through it and now you know what transformational looks like, why would you invest the time and money to go, let's say, from 10 years behind to five years behind? Yeah. It doesn't make no, sense. I, and, you know, I, if, I, if, if today, so Ash, if, if I said, okay, Ash, um, you've just become minister of telecommunications for a developing country that has no telecom infrastructure whatsoever, you could say, okay, well, the first thing we do is we, uh, we install an analog landline network, and then we go to a digital landline network, and then we go completely wireless, mobile. Would you do that and spend all that time and money, or would you just go to mobile? Yeah. I mean, looking back at it, I would totally go to mobile. But I do also appreciate because, like, you know, sometimes companies just don't have the resources to actually take that transformational step. And uh, and and having been a part of a few startups now, um, we just didn't have the resources to actually invest in even best in class tools, right? And so we had to do with what we had to kind of get to that that point. Uh, but uh, but if you have resources to do it correctly, which is which is I believe most of the companies that you're dealing with, um, it's absolutely the right thing to kind of pause and then just go to it because there's this like ripping the bandage effect one like maybe like <laughs> centimeter at a time that's happening and we just go all the way and 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 be done with it you know well it's interesting you raise you know being a startup you you don't have the same resources 
But what you do have is a focus on what do our customers need? Startups are successful when and because they focus on solving a problem for some number of customers. And that's what enables a startup to ultimately be successful. And any big company you look at today, once upon a time, they were a startup that was focused on solving an unmet need for customers. And somewhere along the way, they got really big and had to figure out, okay, how do we keep doing the same thing over and over again at scale? While smaller companies who aren't encumbered don't have the same resources, but they're not encumbered with all that baggage that's been built up. They're able to focus again, starting on how do we focus on what the customer's need is and how do we best deliver that sometimes on a shoestring and and just doing what you can, when you can, just throwing money and tools is not the answer. The advantage startups have is the same advantage big companies that think about it and are smart can have, which is let's not just throw money and tools and time and, and new technology. Let's take a step back and be smart about what we spend, because if we focus on what it is that the customer values and the customer's purpose, those customers will reward us with their business. That's absolutely right. Okay, let's uh, jump into the uh, the holistic growth transformation model. I, when I first saw it, it looked up great. And then as you taught me about it, it sounds so, so fantastic. Yeah, so this is sort of the, the sort of segue here is we talked about the importance of customer experience that everyone would probably agree with um, because we recognize that customers are the one and only thing that help drive growth for our company. But where CX is really you know, sort of seen as how do we optimize the look and feel of our touch points to sell a product or service? We look at that as, you know, that sort of veneer of pixels that you apply that a lot of people will call look and feel as, as misguided because customer experience ultimately is not, not how your touch points look and feel. It's how do your customers react and feel when in pursuit of a purpose or outcome important to them. And realize that when we think, if we anchor back to business outcomes and we think, okay, well, um, there are certain things like cost takeout and efficiency and and uh, agility and speed. Those are things that actually we can solve a lot of times with technology. But when we talk about growth, revenue, sales, uh, share of wallet, uh, loyalty, advocacy, customer lifetime value, all of those business outcomes are delivered by customers when customers achieve something important to them. So we don't look at, at the, the world through the lens of CX anymore. We look at it through the lens of BX or business of experience, which is not how do we optimize the look and feel of our touch points around selling a product or service. Rather, how do we optimize our customer's ability to achieve outcomes important to them, which means their experience, again, not how something looks and feels, how do they react and feel when pursuing a purpose important to them? If we do a good job of understanding the outcome our customer is trying to achieve and we make it easy or fast for them to do it, the customer will experience something like excitement, anticipation, confidence, peace of mind. If we're not doing a good job of enabling the customer to uh, achieve the outcome or purpose important to them, they will experience something like confusion, frustration, 
anger, exasperation. And so when we talk about business of experience, it's not that veneer of pixels. It's are we anchoring on understanding our customer's purpose and then aligning our people, our processes, our technology, our data, our creative, our marketing, our op model, our campaigns on enabling customers to be successful in achieving their purpose. Again, why? Because every time a customer achieves a purpose important to them, they generate value for whichever company enabled them to do it. So what is the framework then that we look at for becoming a business of experience? Um, there are five dimensions. We'll probably spend more time or some than others. Um, the, the first is to be purpose-led. Now, of course, we've heard a lot about purpose over the last several years. A lot of times purpose is equated with like Patagonia's 1% for the planet or yeah. Tom's Shoes, buy a pair, give a pair. And, and, and having basically... Uh, a purpose that is aligned with a social or environmental cause. Okay, that and that works well for a lot of companies as a place to start. I want to look at purpose a little bit more broadly. First, it's interesting to note that the Business Roundtable, which is, you know, it's a, it's a group of, I think, 180-something CEOs of America's largest companies. Um, in August of 2019, uh, the Business Roundtable, which includes CEOs like Jamie Dimon from, from J.P. Morgan Chase, and includes our CEO, Julie Sweet from Accenture. Um, for the first time in their in 20-some-odd in years, they changed their definition of the purpose of a corporation from only being focused on maximizing shareholder value to maximizing value for all stakeholders. Yes, shareholders, but also customers, employees, business partners and the communities in which we operate. So there's this, the, there's this groundswell of companies rethinking their purpose to be greater than themselves. Okay, how do we take that to different levels that are more actionable? So, let's, so when we talk about being purpose-led, three dimensions, sub-dimensions of purpose. One, what I call big P purpose, which is company purpose. What's the company's role in the world? And then second is medium P purpose or brand purpose. What is the company's role in the lives of our customers? And then small P purpose, which is actually the one that has the greatest impact on business outcomes. Small P purpose is customer purpose. What are all the reasons a customer would engage with our company over the lifetime of their relationship with us? And those are all the things that a customer if, if you complete the sentence that your customers could say, I want to blank, I need to blank, how can I blank? Those are the things that comprise your customer's purpose portfolio. And it's more important for you and your teams to understand your customer's purpose portfolio than it is understanding your own product portfolio. Why? Again, Every time customers achieve their intended purpose, they generate value for the business. And to the extent that we align all of what we do to enabling our customers to achieve those purposes, customers will be happy to be our growth engine because they're happy to drive our growth when doing so is a byproduct of achieving what's important to them. So that sort of at the highest level is, is purpose-led. So, fantastic. I, I want to make two points here. One of them is actually near and near to my heart because as you were saying this, right, um, 
if you are going to think, you absolutely need to think about the purpose of uh, the small P purpose, which is focus on your customers. But you also, if you are going to be a company that's going to dive into partnerships, you also need to think about the small P purpose for your partners, because if you do not care for them the same way that you care for your partner, uh, customers, you, the company will actually not learn how to partner. And then you're going to have these partnerships teams just rolling around and they're just going to be floundering, right? And then they'll quit ultimately. But, uh, but in the future, when everything is a little bit about the ecosystem, um, understanding how these relationships, the customer, the partner, the employee, the, uh, the, the investor relationships all intertwine is actually really important. But everybody is ultimately focused on the customer and if you align this at the top, at the leadership levels, then I think your your teams will uh, will act accordingly. So that was one point I definitely wanted to encourage people to think about because I've seen this happen over and over again in companies and they mess this up. The second one is I, I wanted to, to, to uh, as I was learning more about you, Eugene, you talked about the customer's performance indicators. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think this is the right time to talk about it because everybody's so focused on KPIs. But in my mind, if you focus on the CPIs, the KPIs will just take care of themselves. Yeah, it seems so obvious, but it's something that most companies don't yet do. But let me, if I can, let me put CPIs, customer performance indicators, in the context of the second dimension of the model, yep. Yep. which is after purpose-led, it's to be customer-centric. Now, customer, everyone says they're customer-centric, customer-first. There's It's like a 21st century religion um, where there's even a sect of zealots for whom being customer centric is not an extreme enough orthodoxy, right? That we've got this sect of the self-proclaimed customer obsessed. Yes. But the reality is when you look at it, most companies, even those that say they're customer centric or customer obsessed, just repeating it over and over again, doesn't make it true. We look at three specific areas that, that you can actually look at how customer centric are you really? And those three dimensions, uh, I, one I call perspective, which is how you think. The second, practice, what you do. And the third, performance, what you measure. And that's where CPIs come in. But let me, let me give you just a couple of, one example in each of those dimensions, because I yep. think they're really interesting. Uh, and there's, there's probably about 10 things in each of those dimensions, but one from perspective and how you think. Um, Let's say COVID is completely behind us. You're going to a uh, maybe a party in your neighborhood, uh, your apartment building, somewhere wherever you live. And you know during the pandemic, you know new families moved in, new people moved in, and you're you're meeting new people as well as the neighbors you haven't seen for a year or more. And you're talking to someone that's new in in your building or your neighborhood, and uh, he or she asks you, say, so what do you do for a living? And you tell them, and they say, oh, that's great. What what company? And you tell them the name of your company, and for whatever reason, they haven't heard of it. Um, so they say, well, well, what business are you in? How do you answer that question? Oh, we're in the blank business. Well, give me a, think about that, and I'll give you a few examples. Um, Casper, who we know has been disrupting companies like Serta and Sealy and, and Tempur-Pedic, um, we would probably say, oh, yeah, Casper is in the mattress business. Except they wouldn't say that. Casper thinks of themselves and operates in the better sleep business. 
which has impact not only on how they treat their customers, but the, the, the products that they choose to offer, the partnerships that they can forge, um, whether it's with wellness companies or yoga studios, who knows what, but it's all about better sleep. How about um, L'Oreal? Easy. L'Oreal's in the cosmetics business, except they would disagree. L'Oreal would tell you they're in the self-confidence business. And a B2B example, Salesforce. Oh, easy. We all know Salesforce. Salesforce is in the software business or the CRM business. Not according to Mark Benioff. Salesforce is in the customer success business. So what's the difference between those ways of thinking about your business of being mattresses, um, cosmetics, or software versus better sleep, self-confidence, or customer success? The first set are totally company or product centric. The second set are customer centric because they align to what is the experience or outcome or purpose that customers have. So that's one example just about how you think. Um, Practice what you do. Um, Customer journeys are something that, you know, most of us use, uh, most companies use uh, now uh, as common practice. Well, question is, Are your customer journeys based on something you want customers to achieve or are they aligned to what customers want to achieve? So think about a lot of customer journeys that you see still, although it's not many, it looks like a sales funnel turned on its side. Sort of like a livestock shoot that we want to push customers through like cattle to do what we want them to do. Now, more sophisticated than that is companies recognize, well, no, customers, they have many different types of journeys that they take. And so they might say, well, here's our acquisition journey or our retention journey or our upsell journey. Great. My next question is, which of your customer segments wake up in the morning with a burning desire to be acquired? Right. Right? Who who says, you know, my life would be so much better if I could only be retained or upsold or targeted or, oh, yeah, target me, please target me. No one targets me. (laughs) enough. Um, And so, you know. In the practice of customer journeys, good ones, modern ones, start and end with what is the outcome the customer is trying to achieve? Reach into that purpose portfolio that we talked about earlier. Every purpose in that portfolio is the end point of a customer journey. The other thing about customer journeys and thinking about practice and being customer centric or company centric, um, if your customer journey is linear or, or, or tied to a linear series of touch points like Um, Customer sees search ad. Customer clicks on search ad, comes to our website. Uh, Customer browses our website. We retarget them with an ad in social. We bring customer back to the website and we're able to capture their email address. So we trigger an email to them. Okay, unless you have customers that are willing to follow your script like paid actors, that's not a customer journey. That's a marketing cadence. Customer journeys are not based on on being linearly tied to specific touch points. Customer journeys are based on need points from the customer's perspective. And, And we know that if a customer has a given need in the moment, they can choose to go to your website. If you have stores, they can go to your store. Uh, they can go to a retail partner store. They can go, they can call your call center. They can use your chat bot. You might have an app. The point is customers can choose for any given need point or decision point, they can choose from a variety of touch points. So those are some examples of the practice of customer journeys. Are they more company centric or more customer centric? Um, 
Now we get to the third dimension, performance, what we measure. And here's where the question is, if, if we're as customer-centric as we say we are, then are we measuring outcomes important to customers or are we only measuring outcomes important to the company? Now, of course, companies' health is measured on key performance indicators, KPIs, revenue, sales, growth, profitability, loyalty, retention, customer lifetime value, et cetera. And those don't go away. That's how our, our shareholders, our boards, our CEOs, that's how they measure our success. But the key here is that if, if, if we recognize that customers are what drive growth and customers achieving what's important to them is what drives those business KPIs, question is, are we measuring the customer performance indicators on how customers measure how we're performing for them. And of course, customers don't, typically customers don't sit behind banks of monitors with lots of data visualizations on how we're performing for them. But customers do bring to every interaction a purpose, problem, question, or intent. Question for us is, do we know what that, that intended purpose is? And can we measure how well we're, fulfill, we're fulfilling it? I'll give you a quick example that I think we're all familiar with, and that's buying insurance. Okay, let's, we're, we're now in the market for new homeowners insurance, and we want to combine it with auto insurance. So for a lot of us, the first thing we would want is a fast quote. So we go, we find insurance company A, and they ask us for a whole bunch of information about where we live and our vehicles, give them a bunch of information. And we give them that information with the, the purpose of getting a fast quote. Well, insurance company A, instead of giving us a fast quote, says either on their website or on the phone, if we're on the phone with them, hey, thank you so much for your inquiry. Someone will get back to you within two business days. Okay, but we wanted a fast quote, which company A just failed on. Now, what do we do? Do we sit around waiting for company A? No, we go and look for company B. And so we now find company B and uh, they ask us for the exact same information as insurance company A, but right. they give us a quote immediately satisfying our intended purpose of a fast quote. But we're not yet ready to buy. We first want to make sure that we're getting the best price. So now we're faced with a choice. Do we go shopping for insurance company C, D, or E? Or wait, we don't have to because insurance company B said, hey, your homeowners and auto insurance, here's our quote for it, but here are quotes from our competitors for the exact same coverage. And I see that from insurance company A, well, yeah, it looks like I'm either getting, if not the best price, one that looks very competitive. Now I'm wondering, well, will the payments fit my budget? Insurance company B understands that. And so they say, well, here's what it costs if you pay all up front. You can divide it into quarterly payments, monthly payments. You can put it on your credit card. You can have it debited from your checking account. You can, hey, you want to link your hotel rewards or credit card rewards account? You can pay for your reward points using reward points. Okay. Company B has now done a good job of understanding the outcomes important to me at those various need points. What do I do? Great. I don't think about it. I just reward company B with my business. They have now performed well on their KPI of acquisition because they performed well against my CPIs of fast quote, best price, and payments that fit my budget. And by the time insurance company A gets back to me, 
too late. While they're busy following their robotic internal processes, I've already gotten a new insurance company because they performed well for me. And that was a great example, by the way, because so everybody has experienced this. And we all think, why isn't there just one digital profile that I can just send everywhere? And, you know, like the world knows about us anyways, right? Like all of us, like we spend way more much time on cell phones than, than we need to. We are buying with our cell phones. We are, we are like, the, like these companies know everything anyway. So why don't they just take the information and just rather than telling me uh, I'm overweight, right? Just tell me this is the insurance I need, you know? I think it'll be like way better. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so that's fantastic. All right. Um, let's quickly just uh, give people a teaser about the next two, um, um, uh, two, two, two points. Uh, and then, you know, as people read and listen, uh, read the post and like listen to this podcast, as they have questions, we're going to actually direct them to you to give them one on one teaching or maybe do some workshops with them. Yeah, sure. So the, the first two layers were purpose-led and customer-centric. The third is experience-driven. And the sub-dimensions there, again, we, this is, we're aligning this back to purpose. It's defining purpose, which is what you do with your uh, sort of modern personas and customer archetypes and customer journeys. There's designing for purpose, which is what you do in your creative and your experience design and your content authoring and content architectures. And then there's delivering on purpose. And that's when you get into operating models and journey orchestration and your systems of engagement, whether it's websites, commerce systems, or your products themselves. So that's sort of experience driven. The fourth dimension is technology and AI enabled. And that's where we think about the 360 degree view of the customer it's where we think about um, ingesting lots of data, first-party data, second, third-party data, in order to have really rich customer profiles where we're ingesting data at high velocity in high volumes and able to apply them in real time so that we can personalize these different experiences for customers based on our understanding of them and their intended purpose, as well as what we know about them historically and what their prior interactions were. Uh, the other element of uh, delivering on purpose is when we think about our operating models. And this is where, again, most of us would say, yeah, we want to deliver customer-centric experiences. Companies that say that struggle, if what they're really doing is delivering product-centric content through channel-centric operations. And so modern operating models, again, we'll go back to our customer purpose portfolio, Take a purpose out of that portfolio, something the customer wants to achieve. Put it in the center of a virtual table. Around that table will be people from one or more business units that might have a product that addresses that customer's purpose. You have people um, from mar the marketing team. You have people who are, let's say, content architects, content authors, specialists in search, social, display, um, email marketing. You have ex web and experienced designers and developers. You might have people from service or customer success, or if you have retail stores or branches, or to your earlier point, Ash, if you sell and service through partners. Yeah. How, do, how do you have cross-functional teams, regardless of where they sit in the organization, how do they sit around that virtual table where their full-time job is collaborating on fo focusing on that customer purpose in the center of that table? and understanding 
Who are the customers that share that purpose? What are the differences and similarities among them? They own designing the journeys for that enable customers to achieve that purpose. They own the KPIs associated with that purpose, as well as the CPIs associated with that journey and purpose. And they work, they use agile methods in order to enable as many customers as possible using the cooperation and application of their various skills. They drive better business outcomes because they're able to focus more exclusively on the customers that share that purpose and how they enable them to achieve it. That was in data and AI enabled. And then lastly, technology scaled. And of course, you've got the technologies of experience like customer data platforms, content management systems, marketing resource management systems, experience management platforms, et cetera, uh, and cloud and using APIs and you know, so-called mock headless architectures. Now, what folks will see is if you can visualize for now, you've got these five layers from the top down, purpose-led, customer-centric, experience-driven. That's all about mindset. From the bottom up, you've got technology scaled, data and AI enabled into experience-driven. That's all tool sets and skill sets. They all meet at that layer of experience because that experience is how we align our people and process and technology and creative and marketing and and our, our operations. Everything we do is aligned to enabling our customers to achieve the outcomes important to them through the experiences that we create. So we enable customers to then deliver the outcomes important to the business. And it's transforming across these five dimensions that they, they transform culture, you transform operations, and you also transform outcomes to be positioned for maximum growth, differentiation, category leadership, market leadership, and establishing long, durable, and valuable customer relationships. Thank you. And I, I just want to put a plug in here that I specifically asked Gene to spend more time on the first three because, as he rightly said, the, if you have the right mindset, everything else will be fine. And we are like inundated with like technology and data and AI uh, uh, content in the marketplace. So we're just getting loads and loads of it. But if you don't get the first three correct, which is purpose-led, customer-centric, and experience-driven uh, thinking then the rest is is just a patch and uh, and and I've seen so many companies um you know put all these tools in place like we were talking about in the beginning of the podcast and and think that yes they've solved it when the problem is actually something different and uh, I'll also say this pretty transparently that's how executives get fired because they don't identify the right problem yeah and that's it it, it happens too often um but what's what's really gratifying is when you see so yes, it's it, it's executive leadership is key, but even people you know on teams helping their teams and their and even on a, at an individual team level, you can be purpose led, customer centric, experience driven, technology AI enabled or sorry data AI enabled and technology scaled, even at the team level. It can also describe an individual uh, leader or each of us individually in our role. Are we purpose led? customer-centric, experience-driven, data AI-enabled, and technology-scaled. That's how, again, at the macro level, 
It's about how do you become a business of experience to maximize growth and relevance, but it, it scales all the way down to teams and individuals. So it's something that we, and, and I personally, I have to challenge myself to break bad habits that I've sort of collected over these last uh, several decades of, uh, of my professional career in order to really focus more on um, people as humans and, and their problems and how do I help them solve their problems at scale, not how do I sell my products at scale? Because it's actually focusing on solving problems that will sell a lot more product. Yeah. Um, I've said this before. I think I could spend like hours just learning about this stuff. It's, it's so good. And, and, and so as people think about applying and, and deploying these learnings, right? Um, my opinion is you have to take time to do this. And so you can't rush this through. But I also realized that companies have timelines. And so what is a, a average time that it should take a business to go from their approach to this transformed approach? So it's, it's a great question. And none of us live in a vacuum where we've got unlimited time and unlimited resources to create the perfect strategy. Um, and the reality is most of our resources today have to be focused on how do we incrementally improve what we're currently doing? How do we deliver on the outcomes that are expected of us quarter after quarter after quarter? Um, the challenge is how do we devote not all of our resources to that? Because it's very easy to do so. Um, the recommendation is as much as you can, minimally 10, 15, 20%. If you spend, and you can do this in three to four months, take the time to go and really deeply understand your customers and their needs That'll never happen with surveys. I always tell people surveys will tell you one thing, yeah. how to suck less. Surveys will never tell you how to be great. They'll never tell you, they'll give you answers to your questions. They may not be the right questions. And a lot of times customers don't even know what answers they would give or what questions you should be asking. Do traditional exploratory ethnographic research, one-on-one -on -one sessions with customers, not focus groups, unless you want groupthink. One-on-one -on -one sessions with customers, all open-ended questions. No, try to avoid yes, no at all possible. That's evaluative research. This is exploratory. We want to understand things and observe customers. Um, so yes, you can have one-on-one -on -one interviews. Observation sessions, where, do, where are they struggling? Because that helps you get at unarticulated needs, the things that they wouldn't even know to ask for because they assume that those things are always going to be problems. Solving for those unarticulated needs are where real transformational opportunities come from. Uh, and though today we're in the middle, still in the middle of COVID, uh, you can use customer journaling, ways of doing remote research. Spend the time doing the research, understand your customers deeply, build that purpose portfolio, identify what are the journeys that they go on from their perspective, and then ideate what new experiences might we create that would help customers achieve their priority purposes in that purpose portfolio. The purposes that are most important to them that are also most important to the business. Prioritize those and then generate as many ideas as you can without judgment. 20, 50, 100, 200 ideas. Then take a step back and think about what is the relative of all those ideas? What is the um, relative desirability, viability, feasibility, What is the impact for customers? What is the impact for the business? And look at that individually, 
but then and individually say, okay, well, in order for us to to realize any of these future experience concepts, what are the required capabilities or dependencies for each? What technology is needed? What data? Are there organizational implications, operational implications? Are there regulatory implications if you're in financial services or pharma or another regulated industry? You want to figure that out, not just for each concept individually, because you might have a great idea like, oh, this is such a good idea, but oh, look at all the required capabilities and dependencies. It's too complicated. We're never going to do it. Because many concepts will share the same underlying capabilities or dependencies, you want to evaluate them in groups. So now you look at what is for, for these concepts that share the same capabilities or dependencies, um, some of which we'll have, some of which we need to build. What is the aggregate customer impact and aggregate business impact and weigh that against the aggregate cost or complexity of those different capabilities or dependencies so that you can, one, have a business case that rationalizes those, those really interesting or innovative experiential concepts that, that you couldn't justify on their own and you plot them on a roadmap. And the idea is if you're practicing agile, you want to look at, well, what are the things that we can get out there relatively quickly? Because especially if they're going to be high impact with low dependency, so you can get the near term quick wins that you need. So if you spend three or four months on this strategy, um, but, and so that call that a quarter, quarter and a half by the end of the next quarter or at most, you know, so you're six months, maybe eight, nine months out, you're starting to deliver new value. That's based on that, that is, is based on all this research and on a new path to be more purpose led and customer centric. The good news is in parallel, you've already been focused on, on, on the incremental improvements to what you were doing before. But now you're at a point because you, you're delivering near term results and you have a prioritized roadmap. You're able to then iteratively quarter after quarter after quarter light up those new experiences delivering new value, which over time, you're not only delivering increasing value by doing more of these experiences built around customers and what they need and them trying to achieve their purpose measured with CPIs that help drive KPIs. You're actually increasingly differentiating the company over time. You're increasingly um, becoming more valuable to your existing customers. You're going to increase more new customers so using this approach allows you to deliver immediate results in the near term or the immediate term based on what you already do, but try to take a customer-centric, purpose-centric lens. But then in parallel with that, make sure you allocate resources to do this upfront research and strategy and prioritization so that as you continue on, you are iteratively realizing the future state, not just incrementally improving from the current state. Yeah, well said. And I want to move to this different section of the, the podcast, but I was just thinking about this. And we always ask people if you could leave us with one resource that people could read or listen to or view. And this deck that you shared with me, I think we should just give people this deck because everything that you shared with us is actually articulated in the deck as well, uh, if you're okay with that. I, I think, you know, what would be actually a, probably a better resource for people because the deck doesn't have very many words in it. Um, is there is a, a pretty in-depth point of view on Accenture.com on the business of experience. 
And there's, it's got a lot of research behind it that explains how companies that follow BX principles, research is showing that they outperform their peers on profitability by a factor of 6x. And so there's a lot more richness and detail in that um, as, as, and data that I think will be really helpful for teams. Perfect. We'll actually post the link. Um, we always ask people if there's like two or three other folks that you have worked with in the past that you uh, who are in go-to-market or data science uh, that you recommend we bring on the show. Do you have a couple of names for us? Yeah, I, I, let me think. Uh, I have the good fortune of working with a lot of really good people. Um, you know who's great? Uh, Amy Johnson, who's the CMO at Zillow. Amy's fantastic. Um, my colleague, actually, Brad Herndon, who runs our personalization data and analytics, customer analytics practice, uh, he's doing a lot of work right now helping uh, companies on personalization, as well as addressing um, their first-party data strategy as, as third-party cookies are going away. Yep, yep. Uh, and then thirdly, um, you know, candidly, one of, one of my inspirations and mentors, as well as a good friend, uh, Mark Bonchek, who's the CEO of uh, Shift. And um, brilliant, brilliant guy. And, um, you know, every, every minute of his wisdom is worth hours of, uh, of what you might hear from others. Well, I'm saying the same thing about you. So <laughs> this has been great. This, is, this has been fantastic. So thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, if folks want to get in touch with you, uh, what would be the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, you know, feel free to ping me on LinkedIn. You know, happy to connect with folks. Fantastic. Well, Gene, thank you so much for spending time with us and educating us. Uh, uh, this, is, this is great material, and I certainly hope that the early stage execs or the, even the middle or later stage execs that listen to this podcast can take some time out and really understand all the things that you've shared and then apply them and they enrich the lives of their customers and their employees and all the other stakeholders. So thanks so much for joining the show, and best of luck on your journey. Thanks so much, Ash. Pleasure spending time with you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.